said nine o'clock. She said nine o'clock. Can I just keep breathing till nine o'clock? Little heart, will you please hold together till she's here, standing near again? Then at nine o'clock we may see a sight like the world's first rainbow to glow at night. And if we get a kiss just then, we'll see miracles from nine to ten. Nine o'clock, she said. Nine o'clock, can I just keep on breathing until nine o'clock? Little heart, won't you please hold together until she's here, standing so near again? Because at nine. O'clock. We may see a sight like the world's first rainbow to glow at night. And if we get a kiss just then, oh, we'll see miracles from nine to ten. Happy New Year's Eve to all of you Treks and sci-fi fanboys, fangirls, and off-world aliens listening out there. This is Vartok with another music and sci-fi guest podcast, my 16th, since um, 2010. A big thanks to Rico for letting me close out the year 2023 with you. This is Treks and Sci-Fi podcast number 923 for December 31st, 2023. And today, I'm going to talk about the music to Season 2 of The Orville, from executive producer and creator Seth MacFarlane. In fact, you may be surprised to know that I opened this guest podcast with Seth Baritone singing the song Nine O'Clock, arranged and conducted by composer Joel McNeely, whom I will talk more about a bit later in this podcast. It turns out that Seth, currently age 50, is truly multi-talented as an actor, animator, writer, producer, director, comedian, and surprise, a singer. McFarland has performed as a singer at Carnegie Hall in New York City and at the Royal Albert Hall in London. He has released eight studio albums in the vein of Frank Sinatra, with influences from jazz orchestrations, and Hollywood musicals, beginning with the 2011 album, Music is Better Than Words. And to top that all off, he plays Captain Ed Mercer, the lead role in the Orville. So I think his singing is kind of related to the music of the Orville, indirectly. I think most of us knew that Seth had been involved in animation because of his series like Family Guy. But did you know that he started drawing cartoon characters at age two and knew he wanted to be an animator by age five? 
And not to mention he was selling a weekly comic strip at age nine to a local paper for $5 a week. Later, he was hired into Hanna-Barbera, mostly based on his writing than on an animation project that was submitted by one of his professors at the Rhode Island School of Design, where he graduated. Now back to his singing. Incredibly, McFarlane has received five Grammy Award nominations as a singer. He has also won several awards for his work on Family Guy, including five Primetime Emmy Awards out of 24 nominations. He hosted the 85th Academy Awards in 2013. McFarlane was executive producer of the Neil deGrasse Tyson-hosted Cosmos, a space-time odyssey, an update of the 1980s Cosmos series hosted by Carl Sagan. He received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2019 and was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 2020. I am blown away. Trivia, did you know that McFarlane has also appeared as the engineer Ensign Rivers on Star Trek Enterprise in the third season episode, The Forgotten, and in the fourth season episode, Affliction? One of Seth's well-known creations has been the Orville, a fantastic space adventure series set 400 years in the future that follows a mid-level exploratory spaceship named the Orville in honor of famed aviation pioneer Orville Wright. I've flown on a recreation of the Wright Model B Flyer in Dayton, Ohio, and it was a hoot. Season 2 of The Orville was aired from December 30th, 2018 through April 25th, 2019 on Fox, comprising 14 episodes, a wonderful number in these days of typical 8 to 10 episode seasons. Season 3 was produced by Hulu entitled The Orville New Horizons, which aired June 2nd, 2022 through August 4th, 2022. But that is material for perhaps a future guest podcast. Previously, in Treks and Sci-Fi episode number 660, I provided Rico a short 10-minute music segment looking at the music of The Orville Season 1. In that segment, I had noted that not one, but rather four quality composers provided the scores. Those composers were Bruce Broughton, Joe McNeely, John Debney, and Andrew Cotti. For season two, three of the four composers, McNeely, Debney, and Cotti, were back to provide another sonic odyssey. As I delved into season two of this spacefaring series, it became evident that the music composed by these gifted composers provided more than just a backdrop. The music is really a vital force that propels the narrative forward, adding layers of emotion, tension, and depth to the already captivating universe of the Orville. A Comic-Con-style panel session was posted on YouTube in 2019 by La La Land Records on the music of the Orville. The panel included Seth MacFarlane and all four composers. Seth was asked what inspired him to create a new futuristic space show. Here was his response. When I was a kid, I was a fan of optimistic, bright, utopian sci-fi, and I think that the genre has kind of steered away from that in recent years. I think a lot of what we're seeing is very dark and, uh, and very grim and doesn't really paint a flattering picture of our immediate future and doesn't really provide much of a blueprint. And I think there was a big um, void left when uh, Hollywood kind of abandoned that sort of storytelling. And I loved it when I was a kid. I missed it, and I didn't see anyone doing it. And so I, I decided to do it myself. Seth was also asked why he put such an emphasis on the music to the Orville and how music can be like another character in the show. I'm an insatiable collector of film scores, uh, both past and present. And so, that, I mean, that, that was, I mean, as early as shooting, I, in my mind, have some idea of how the music is going to fit in. I mean, I, I know with, with, you know, a lot of shows, it tends to be wallpaper. I, I think um, Spielberg showed us better than anybody how music can be a character in a show if you really embrace it and let it, shine and let it be present. Um, I think a lot of directors tend to be scared of the score nowadays. 
Fortunately for us fans of the Orville's music, there was a change to the season two format that allowed for even more music, as Seth once again explains. In season two, one of the biggest things that, that um, it, was, it was a very welcome change for the show was that we actually had another, I think like six to eight minutes of, um, of, of program time. They structured the commercials differently, and so we were suddenly we suddenly had all this extra time to play with, and all of that went into, I mean, you know, it's a savvy Hollywood crowd, but if you don't know, it's what's called shoe leather, where it's, it's, it's not dialogue, it's not um, story, it's, it's imagery that lets you take a breath and take in the, um, the set or the visual effects work and the music. And that's where all of that went, and, and, um, and, and I, th I think it was, you know, hugely transformative for the show, and, and um, it, it's, it's become kind of, a, kind of a staple. For the rest of this podcast, my plan will be to pick two or so tracks from each of the three composers to showcase their talent. However, since the main title and end title tracks composed by Bruce Broughton were retained for season two, let me jumpstart things with the one-minute The Orville main title theme used to open each of the 14 episodes. Realistically, there was no way I could complete this podcast without playing this clarion call to the show, right? Bruce is only credited as a composer for the reprise of the main title and end title tracks, he is also acknowledged for conducting the orchestra for over a dozen episodes of season two. Let's listen to Bruce talk about his providing the main title to the Orville from that panel session I mentioned earlier. By the time I got ready to, um, to do the show, I think, I think I had seen the script to the... Um, to the pilot, but I was getting information visually as to what it looked like. I was getting a lot of information as to what it looked like visually. So I had a pretty good idea of the kind of theme that we were looking at. And also, I knew uh, that um, because of Seth, we were getting a one-minute main title, which, as you say, is unusual because hardly anybody does it anymore. But the titles are one of those ways that you bring people back from the refrigerator, you know. A 10-time Emmy winner, Bruce Broughton has scored some of the most iconic TV series. Besides the Orville, Bruce has also composed for JAG and Steven Spielberg's Tiny Toon Adventures and Dinosaurs. His scores for television range from miniseries such as Texas Rising and The Blue and Gray to TV movies such as Warm Springs, O Pioneers, and countless episodes of television series such as Dallas, Quincy, How the West Was Won, and Hawaii Five-O. His melodies are known to audiences all over the world. Bruce also has many motion picture scores. These titles take the breath away of all soundtrack aficionados, such as Lost in Space, Young Sherlock Holmes, with a Grammy nomination, The Presidio, Miracle on 34th Street, Tombstone, and Silverado, for which he received an Academy Award nomination. I should mention here that the Orville Season 2 soundtrack is available for download from iTunes and also from Amazon as a two-CD disc set. The soundtrack has an amazing 57 tracks, with between at least one to as many as six tracks covering each of the 14 episodes of Season 2. Okay, so let me continue exploring these composers by talking about John Debney. Debney, age 67 as of this podcast, brought his musical prowess to the Orville's second season, 
delivering a symphonic masterpiece that also enriched the viewing experience. The orchestral arrangements, a hallmark of the show, are expansive and evocative as he takes us on a sonic journey through the cosmos. The use of a full orchestra allowed John to create a rich and dynamic soundscape that mirrors the vastness of space and the myriad emotions experienced by the show's characters. The orchestral pieces aren't confined to generic sci-fi motifs. They embrace a wide range of styles, adapting to the diverse themes explored in each episode. Here is John Debney's track number five from disc one, titled Possible Lice, The Big Rescue, from the episode Primal Urges, where the crew races to save a small group of survivors on the planet Nixia, about to be destroyed by its expanding red sun. It starts with an almost Star Trek sound, full of hope and quiet thoughtfulness, and then two-thirds the way through expands with a full orchestral crescendo full of energy and action. Then it quiets back down again and ends with a call for motion moving steadily forward.
Composer John Debney is best known for his scores for Hocus Pocus, Inspector Gadget, Spy Kids, Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, The Scorpion King, Elf, Spider-Man 2, Venom, Chicken Little, Evan Almighty, Aliens in the Attic, Iron Man 2, Predator, The Jungle Book, The Greatest Showman, and so much more. And that list doesn't even cover his television credits. If you want to know more about John Debney, listen to Treks and Sci-Fi episode number 626 and my guest podcast about John Debney. Let's hear John talk about his experience of writing melodies for the Orville and having a large orchestra available to play that music. And I love writing melodies, and Joel and Andrew are masters at that, and I love to do that too. But there's something really fun about this on the stage with, again, if we're blessed, which we are with this show, to have 80, music, 90 musicians. There's something just really exciting about it. A second track that I have chosen for Debney is track number 17, disc one, titled Making First Contact, from the episode All the World is Birthday Cake, where the Orville makes a first contact with the planet Rhaegar II. And a new security chief, Tala Kayali, joins the ship. Boy, I think I heard a Jerry Goldsmith's homage in this track with the trumpet riffs. I love the positive vibe near the end with the horns. So good. That last track was so short, I must provide at least one more Debney composition. Here is track number nine, disc two, titled Laura's Theme, from the episode Lasting Impressions, where the crew opens a time capsule from the year 2015 and Lieutenant Gordon Malloy falls in love with a computerized simulation of Laura Huggins, whose cell phone was found in the time capsule. I've chosen this track owing to it being a quieter, more pensive, romantic sound, compared to the full sound represented by Space Battles, coming up in a bit.
Debney has eight Emmy Award nominations to his credit, having won three for his work on The Cape, Sequest DSV, and The Young Writers. He has also received an Academy Award nomination for his score to The Passion of Christ. Up next, let me talk about composer Joel McNeely, who is 64 today. Trex and sci-fi fans will most likely be aware of Joel's creations in works such as Terminal Velocity, Air Force One, The Avengers, The Jungle Book 2, Mulan 2, A Million Ways to Die in the West, starring none other than Seth MacFarlane, and nine episodes of The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Let me play track number seven, disc one, from the episode Home, titled Alara Goes Home, Arriving Home. In this episode, Lieutenant Alara Katan discovers her body is slowly losing its superhuman strength as it adapts to Earth much slower gravity than her home world. At Dr. Finn's recommendation, Alara returns to her home planet Zalea to reacclimate. Of course, this was all set up to allow the actress Halston Sage, who played Alara, to leave the Orville's cast and take on a leading role in another television show. I can't tell you how sad that made me feel since I really like the Alara character. As the shuttle flies over her beautiful homeworld, the music provides such a positive feeling. The music ends and Alara is home. Doesn't that music just pull your heartstrings and make you want to become a space cadet? From the panel session, Joel talked about how composers are typically asked to write music without any of the completed special effects. But then, 
How it feels during the recording sessions to hear their music perform with a near final product on the screen. I'll go through the whole writing process without ever seeing them. And I said to Seth at the last session, I feel like at, at our recording sessions, it's the first time I get to see, you know, pretty close to a completed visual effects. And for me, it's like Christmas because I've been looking sometimes at just this green screen, you know, or something. And then there's just all this rich detail. And it's just so fun to see it all come to life and and thrilling actually um, and you know yes these sequences it's like you know John and I talk to each other sometimes when we say we're, we're like pinching ourselves because these great sequences are teed up for us that you just yes you maybe get once in a movie every five years or something and there's almost one every show there's one that's coming in the season finale that's one of the most fun things I've ever done Joel is not limited to just smooth melodies Let's listen to one of his soundtracks that encapsulates a full-born space battle, which, of course, all Treks and sci-fi fans yearn for at least once a season in a sci-fi show. Here is part of the track number five, disc two, Battle for Earth, from the episode Identity Part Two. The commandeered Orville and the massive Kalon fleet race toward Earth to exterminate all biological life. The ship's crew remains imprisoned in the shuttle bay, and all is looking bleak. Only, Yafit saves the day. Hmm, is that a spoiler? Get ready for some battle-pumping music.
So, in these intense space battles, the music swells with exploding energy, heightening the stakes and delivering a visceral punch to the action. McNeely's ability to synchronize the music with the on-screen events enhances the emotional impact of these moments, making us, the audience, feel every twist and turn of the Orville's movements. Yet, the orchestral brilliance isn't limited to adrenaline-pumping sequences. McNeely can also weave intricate melodies that accompany poignant character moments and thought-provoking narratives. Looking through the tracks for all 14 episodes, it seems like Joel was the go-to composer for nearly all of the battle scenes in Season 2. Here is the second McNeely track, titled Lifting Off the Ocean Floor, from the alternate timeline episode The Road Not Taken, where the crew must contend with the disastrous fallout from a decision made by Commander Kelly Grayson. The music starts out slowly, with an unhurried beat and then starts to accelerate, and the beat quickening and the volume increasing. See if you don't get goosebumps two minutes and 38 seconds into this track. Then it all slows down, and with the tone of a successful ending. yeah. Which brings me up to the third composer for season two, Andrew Cotti. The youngster in the group, and in his mid to late 40s if I had to guess, he only has four entries in the IMDb. Andrew is not listed at Wikipedia, and in fact, I can only find only minimal information about him anywhere online. I found that he graduated from the Royal College of Music, located in South Kensington, London, 
After graduating, he freelanced with many orchestras, including the BBC Symphony and London Philharmonic, and as a guest principal percussion with the London Symphony Orchestra. In 2015, Seth MacFarlane invited Andrew to arrange music for his live concerts, and in 2016, to arrange an album of songs to be performed by Seth. It was through this association that Seth invited Andrew into the world of the Orville. When asked about composing music for science fiction, Andrew responded, A love theme is a love theme, and a fight theme is a fight theme, whether you're in space, or in the Wild West, or in Ben-Hur. I don't think at any point I aimed for science fiction. Although there was a lot of Jerry Goldsmith influence, and a lot of the composers I draw from were extremely good at science fiction. But I didn't aim to write something that sounded like science fiction. I just aimed to write something that was the right emotion and the right size for the theme. When asked how he composes music for scenes where there is spoken dialogue versus, say, for when you see the ship cruising through space, Andrew revealed in the panel session how he accounts for this. I want to write music as if we're in the theater and the music naturally gets out of the way. So that's, you know, so I try and achieve, you know, so the, the music getting out of the way for the dialogue is something I try and achieve in the orchestration. So I'm, I'm staying away from brass, staying away from high notes, you know, keeping it to woodwind. And if I want anything to be really kind of biting, then I'll use piano and I'll use bassoons and stuff. I won't use trombones because we want the music to dip out naturally. We don't want, you know, there's nothing worse than getting the brass blaring away, and then you can hear that someone has obviously dipped the volume at that point, and it, it doesn't sound natural. So, anything goes when the focus is outside of the ship. But then the music is dialed down via instrument selection and volume when inside the ship, and there is dialogue that takes precedence. Andrew would rather control the volume himself than having the mixing crew just manually dial down the volume of his music. I like that. For Andrew's first track, I've chosen to play for you track number 26 from disc 1, titled Testing Deflectors, from the episode Deflectors. In this episode, you may recall that the Orville travels to Machlis to have new regenerative deflectors installed, although the A-plot is all about Bordas and his former boyfriend, Lokar, who prefers females, a punishable crime on Machlis. Like the original Star Trek, the Orville also features morality messages for many of the plots. The track repeatedly alternates soft and loud passages with horns blaring out, almost a cause-and-effect track. Let's try this adjustment, and bam, here's the response. Based on just the music, I'd have to say the test was a success.
For Andrew's second featured track, well, that was an easy choice. I really like track number 14 from disc 2, titled Agreement Reached, from the episode Sanctuary, where Captain Ed Mercer discovers that the Mocklin engineer's Torin and his mate Korok are smuggling a female infant off-world to avoid gender-corrective surgery and prosecution. It turns out softly with strings, and then abruptly transformed to a loud, aggressive action motif before tapering off with a thoughtful wind solo and gentle, quieting music. It seems resolution has been achieved. In 2017, Cothy, McNeely, Broughton, and Debney collectively won the award for Best Original Score for Television, 
from the International Film Music Critics Association for their music for Season 1 of The Orville. Once again, Kati, McNeely, and Debney were nominated for the award in 2019 for their work on Season 2. However, they did not win that year. I think it's safe to say that, you know, when you, when you compare the visual effects budget or the production design budget or the costume budget on any show, it's not like it's breaking the bank to use an orchestra. People just don't, they just don't think it's necessary a lot of the time because they don't understand what that's, you know, probably because they've, they haven't been exposed to it enough, but they don't understand that the, the, even if an audience does not know consciously that what they're hearing is live orchestral music, on a subconscious level, without a doubt to me, it makes that show or that film more important in, in, in how it feels as a viewer. It makes it matter more. If only many other directors had the same opinion about the production value of music on a show's impact to us, the audience. You tell them, Seth. Summarizing, one of the most remarkable aspects of the Orbel's music is its symbiotic relationship with the storytelling. The composers collaborated closely with the show's creators, including Seth MacFarlane, to ensure that the music is not merely an accompaniment but rather an integral part of the narrative. The result is a harmonious blend where visual storytelling and musical composition work in tandem, enhancing the emotional impact and the thematic depth of each episode. Well, that's a wrap for this Music and Sci-Fi Guest podcast. I hope you appreciated it as much as I enjoyed preparing it for you. Next time, Rico will be back with yet another fantastic episode of Treks in Sci-Fi. Until then, this is Vartok signing off, wishing everyone a happy 2024. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention that Seth is credited as scriptwriter for six of the 14 episodes in Season 2. What a guy. I will end this guest podcast with another Seth MacFarlane standard. This nearly was mine. From the album, No One Ever Tells You. And it just feels so appropriate for a ballroom on New Year's Eve.
still saying that paradise was nearly was Thank you.